Bring It On is a public affairs program exploring the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American communities in South Central Indiana and beyond. Bring It On is a forum for the people, by the people, produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana, and financially supported by listeners like you. Good evening, everyone. I'm William Hosea, and welcome to this edition of Bring It On. We are a multiple award-winning show celebrating 15 years as Indiana's only weekly community radio show committed to exploring the people, issues, and events impacting African Americans. And good evening again, and uh, happy National Indigenous Peoples Day. I get that right? Okay. I'm Clarence Boone, and today's broadcast, you'll also hear from Dana Black, Indiana Democratic Party Deputy Chair of Engagement, Indiana Stonewall Democrats President, Lawrence Township Democrat Club Member, Lawrence Township Precinct Committee, and NAACP Member, and I don't think she's throwing her head in for the Democratic nomination for President, but she's here. Just Governor. Just Governor, but she's here, and we'll hear from her all in the next hour on Bring It On. But first, Dr. Terry Francis is a world-famous recurring guest on Bring It On. She is an associate professor of cinema and media studies and director of the Black Film Center Archive in the Media School at Indiana University. That's right. We spared no expense to get her here. Terry is joined by her colleague from the Moving Image Archive, Carmel Curtis. They are here to talk about a series of community-made films called We Tell, 50 Years of Participatory Media. The series will feature several guests, including Louis Messiah, an amazing documentary filmmaker. And if time permits, she may also briefly talk about what she has coming up for the rest of the semester and next semester's Love, I'm in Love series. With that, Dr. Francis and Ms. Curtis, welcome to Bring It On. Thanks, Thanks for pl- having us. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. Again. And you mm-hmm. do phenomenal work on campus. Uh, now, now, can we just, on the front end, can, I, can we call you Terry and can we call you Carmel? Go okay. right ahead. You yes, can call please. me Mr. Boone and him Mr. Hosea. Okay. <laughs> As uh, you like okay. it. Okay. <laughs> You're doing phenomenal things on campus. Thank you. Um, and we have had you on, as we mentioned, you're a recurring guest. And we really appreciate just the insight and, and that you bring. And, you know, we're, we're educated every time you come on as far as the impact that black filmmakers, directors, and producers, and actors have had. And we learned last time um, individuals that write the score for films and so a lot of that we didn't know and so you you really do a tremendous job of educating both student staff and anyone who makes an appointment first to come over (laughs) (laughs) to see the collection but it's always great to have you back on again you've been busy you've got a lot going on so I want to maybe go in reverse order Mm -hmm. Um, that that title's catchy Uh, love I'm in love sounds like a song is that a Diana Ross song? Or anyway, uh, love, I'm in love. It's more like, I mean, think of it as like a headline. You know what I mean? Yeah, like those broadsides oh. in the olden days. Extra, extra. Yeah. Love, I'm in love. Yeah. It's an announcement. And and what type of uh, topical themes will that explore? Well, I am so excited about the series. So um, it'll be three feature films at IU Cinema, mm-hmm. uh, all from the early 1970s, mm-hmm. and featuring people that I think we're all in love with. Diane Carroll, mm-hmm. who just Sydney recently Pro- passed away. Who just recently yeah. passed. So our first film will be Claudine, yeah. um, which stars uh, Diane Carroll with um, James Earl Jones, a mm-hmm. young, 
fit James Earl Jones. And um, and that really starts off the series with um, people who are in love and trying times. That's mm-hmm. and that I think that's really the theme of the series. Like it's people are um, trying to create households and families and relationships in um, and the and in the backdrop uh, we see the yet to be fully fulfilled promises of the civil rights movement, of integration, of mm-hmm. jobs, and so on and so forth. So um, so although there's there we have these beautiful stars, um, and they're um, adorable and really um, inspiring um, relationship that they're trying to find together, there's, they're also facing some structural barriers to actually getting married and to being in a household. Mm-hmm. Um, the second film features Sidney Poitier, um, in London, he is a fancy doctor, and he, but he also is like a race car driver. Um, so this puts us in like kind of international context, and um, and dashing Sydney Poitier falls in love with a woman who has a secret, of course, and um, and will that secret keep them apart or will it bring them together? And then the third film is Aaron Loves Angela, which uh, features a young Irene Cara. And that's just kind of young people. They're I think mm-hmm. they're in high school, basketball guy, and um, and uh, like a smart girl in class, and they fall in love with each other, and um, and so it's just kind of that contrast between like the sweetness of their growing care and affection and respect for each other, but dealing with tough families and uh, tough homes and just generally a society that's not really all that loving. Are there central themes, even though every film is unique? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, some argue yeah, that there's thing. there's a formulaic model for a lot of films these sure. days. But I know back in the seventies that maybe wasn't necessarily so. Yeah, but are I there mean, central themes that you that you see in these? Well, I mean, I think they um, the the real central theme I think is like love, family, relationships, and togetherness. You know, mm-hmm. um, these are films that are running along the same time as the you know the great black exploitation films, you know, Shaft and um, Superfly and so forth. And so these kind of stand out because they are family films, um, but they are also I think not naive family films. They're really looking at the the trials of what it means to kind of put your life together with another person. So there's some of the same beats of a romantic film, you you know, seeing each other either across a room or um, I think with the, um, in Claudine, they see each other when uh, Claudine is kind of going to work and, um, and James Earl Jones's character is, um, is also at work delivering garbage and they just, their eyes meet mm-hmm. and they feel something. Um, and then there's the, the the kind of struggle to see each other again, and then they do, and, um, and they both have kids, and they're trying to blend their families, but it's the welfare office that is their main um, kind of dragon that has to be slayed for them to be together. So I suppose in that sense, there is that kind of sense of a formula that you know that sort of romance but it's um but it's different in that we have very few films of uh black affection mm-hmm. and um and i think the other thing i would say about the series is that not only will it feature kind of these uh three 70s films uh with beautiful stars but um before each film will play um, a, sh- a 30 second short that was recently discovered or rediscovered called um, Something Good Negro Kiss. Have you guys all seen this? I've not seen that. This is the most adorable thing you've ever seen in your life. 30 second 
Yeah, it's his 22nd. It's from uh, 1898, <laughs> and it was um, re... I don't know. I always, it's how lost was it? But it was um, kind of identified by um, Allison Field, uh, who's a scholar at University of Chicago and archivist Dino Everett. They worked together to figure out what this thing was and to bring it back into our imagination. So it features two performers um, who are kissing. They just look at each other adoringly. They kiss, they part, they twirl, they kiss some more. And um, it was kind of it and came back on the scene in 2018. And I remember saying to like friends and other people that like, wow, the best film of 2018 is actually from 1898, okay. you know, and um, what a lot of people really liked about it was this kind of rare moment of just delight, mm-hmm. just delight mm-hmm. between two people. Um, to black people that I think is so often missing, especially that we don't have the Obamas in the White House anymore. So we're missing our kind of PDA um, uh, moments. So um, it's, you know, people were saying, you know, I'm crying in my cubicle. People, uh, there was one person who uh, re- um, who put audio on it from If Beale Street Could Talk. You know, they just kind of liked the romance of it. And so what we're going to do is um, play that film, uh, Something Good, Negro Kiss, before each of the features. Because um, I think part of my inspiration with the series was not only was I interested in the history of Black affection on screen, but it's like, well, what has been its future? Like, what, what have we had on screen since then? Um, and then Dr. Field will be on campus uh, February 21st to talk about the what it meant to see this and figure out what it was um, from a scholarly point of view right. and um, and help us to, I think, understand the continually unfolding romance of black film, right. too. There's a ton of stuff that we need to keep finding. I would like to ask you a question. Mm. Now, you said that short clip is 20 to 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting here listening to you describe it. Uh-huh. And you're pulling so much out of it. I know. So how does There's a, so much there. Okay. Please, please <laughs> help me to uh, understand how a rock like me could look at something like that. Because mm-hmm. I'm serious. I'm, I'm sitting yeah. there trying to visualize it. Yeah. And I, I'm just incapable of, of looking in that deep into mm-hmm. kissing and twirling. And it, I mean, <laughs> click. That's all, you know. I remember my, my wife and I went to Vegas one time. Yeah. And we watched that show Circa de Soleil, I think it, oh, it, sure. it is. Yeah. And I'm sitting there the whole time and uh, people just running through water. That's all I could see. Yeah. But my wife was just totally taken by it ah. and, and went off of what? A little more than two hours. So yeah, that was a long uh, show. I, I, mm-hmm. I digress. So if I'm watching this, mm-hmm. what would you uh, suggest that I do to get more meaning out of something like that? Before you answer, before you answer, William don't do will, it. Don't okay, do it. I, I got to I got to do. I got to. <laughs> William will need a box of Kleenexes, right? If he sees this, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So so the rock will melt. All right. Yeah, okay, I think, now, you know, you know, think you of get, your you wedding day. Oh. Think of okay. those moments that have been um, just free, sweet in your own life and whether and how often you've seen that represented, right? Like we're, we are so often confronted with the violence of our lives. And there's, I mean, there's a lot of history around this image. Like it's, um, 
And, you know, Dr. Field will talk about how it is situated with um, late 19th century minstrel imagery. How does this depart from that? How is it also a part of it? Mm -hmm. Um, But there is something, because there's no story there, it's this, it's just two people kind of, I mean, like a lot of the videos that we're confronted with that don't have a beginning, middle and end. It's Mm -hmm. just that moment. But in this moment, chance encounter, it's, it looks like it could be, but okay. then they're looking into each other's eye. Who knows? You okay. know, okay. it's, uh, it's sort of like you, I think you'd think of it as if you come upon something, um, that is private, but also familiar to you. Right. But I think for us, I think is really rare in media right. to see. I think I know what I need to do now. <laughs> I need to be drunk. No. Okay. Well, baby. On, on you, you know what alcohol does to people, right? Release the inhib- Well, go. yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so uh, or just 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 to clean that but up. But I can see in just, your eyes. Just to I clean that up. I can see in your eyes that you're a man of Both of these actors were drunk feeling. when they met each other, right? No, they just did not agree. Oh, okay. <laughs> now, now I I had two quick follow-ups and then we want to hear from Carmel. Yes. Um, yeah. Me too. Um one is I I fell in love with Diane Carroll and Julia. Mm. I did. I think mm-hmm. everyone did. Now, but the stereotypes, looking back at that, wow, single mother, young song, sure. young song, and then her attempts to, to find mm-hmm. uh, someone to share her life with. Right. And Lloyd Nolan was 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 awesome as as the doctor mm-hmm. that she worked with, compassionate, um, understanding all that, all that. But then the other thing is, um, okay, you you selected those three mm-hmm. for for a specific reason because of what they could probably resonate within the viewer and a mm-hmm. host of other things. Lady Sings the Blues. Oh. Um, mm-hmm. But yet, is that what Hollywood viewed it or Hollywood created as too stereotypic? I mean, I mean, these three that you're pointing out show mm-hmm. the power of love, but Lady Sings the Blues mixed with drugs and mixed with yeah. a meteorite falling, and mm-hmm. then there's Billy D. Yeah. You know, so... Just, just as a thought. I God, mean, that's, that's interesting. I mean, when you mentioned that film, we could look at Magnolia. Uh, I, um, oh my gosh, what am I trying to say? Mahogany. 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 Thank yeah, you, yeah. Magnolias. Um, Close enough. Yeah. Um, I mean, like tormented. You know, tormented love. Yeah. You know. Um, I mean, I'm going to do a series alongside this um, that I haven't fully confirmed it yet, but it'll be a series of shorts that are um, mostly films that are erotic, um, pornographic, or just tormented in some other way. Um, and those are all black films also. Um, but in this series, I mean, they just kind of, they sit together, 1973, 74, and I believe 75. They're kind of close in mm-hmm. time period. And they're films that are... Um, that just typically are not on the radar, but they have these amazing stars. Like, I would like to see a dashing Sidney Poitier woo someone, or um, you know, or Diane Carroll. So I think, I don't know. I think I was just drawn to them for all the reasons that they became stars: their beauty, um, their charisma, and. For some reason, I think these films need to be seen more, okay. and we need more pleasurable right. things right. at the movies to look at. Right. Well, on that note, um, joining you tonight, as we mm-hmm. mentioned earlier, is 
Carmel Curtis, who is from the Moving Image Archive. And Carmel, welcome to Bring It On. Thank you. And can you share with us um, some of the things that, that you do on a daily basis uh, and some of the offerings that you sort of present to the public? Yeah, um, it's the series that I'm working in right now uh, that'll be coming up starting this week at the IU Cinema as well as at the um, IU Library Screening Room. We tell it's a different kind of pleasure than the Love I'm in Love series, mm-hmm. um, but a similar uh, kind of, uh, and related to the work that I do in general at large in the archives, um, a retelling, a reclaiming, an understanding of the works that came before us and learning from that, acknowledging the history, um, mm-hmm. both the actual historical history, the 1898 kiss, but how that relates to our current day lives. Um, how whatever we hear or see in the news uh, is n- nothing is new, so to speak. Right. It's all uh, from a contextual past that we can learn from if we know where to look. Um, so in the Moving Image Archive uh, here at IU, I work uh, as an archivist there. The Moving Image Archive here has incredible collections that really center on non-theatrical films. So that means films that wouldn't traditionally screen in a cinema, mm-hmm. but you might remember from your school days seeing like celluloid films projected in the classroom. These kinds of things that most institutions threw away or um, mostly threw away, IU actually kept a lot of these. The Indiana University had a, a production and distribution company called Indiana University Audiovisual Center. Really? And a number of their films, are you, do you know it? No, I'm surprised. Okay, yeah, yeah. A lot of people are. Um, they had a, a production and distribution company, and a lot of those films um, have been preserved and archived by Indiana University. Would this include um, some of the semi-documentaries on the development, say, of Crest Toothpaste? <laughs> exactly. And some so of all the these things and that Watson are, research that tangentially was You might there. watch when the substitute was in, um, but now kind of tell us an interesting history right. of how uh, students were taught um, of how uh, of how media was used as a tool for education. Mm-hmm. Um, we also have a lot of home movies, a lot of commercials, so things that um, home movies from around the area, um, wow. from around the region, that give us an insight into how people, regular people, live their lives. So moving away from um, Hollywood figures and just bringing it to bringing it to the regular people, mm-hmm. um, which is what this series we tell really centers on. Um, So the series we tell uh, is a real labor of love um, that a lot of people have been involved in researching and producing to bring together for the last two or three years. Um, The series uh, really centers on the um, (coughs) hidden histories of really place-based, neighborhood-based, community-made collaboratively made media. Um, So moving away from a singular filmmaker, a singular auteur, uh, and acknowledging the creation of media as a group process, as a collective process. Um, And in that acknowledgement, uh, unveiling the power that comes with that to counter um, uh, ways that you're told you need to be represented. So having the community represent themselves um, this series we tell uh, screens around the country. Um, it'll be starting at uh, IU this week. Um, and the, the programs are centered around six thematic themes. 
um, body publics, collaborative knowledges, environments of race and place, states of violence, turf, wages of work. Um, each of these are social justice oriented themes that really bring out and highlight uh, many of these uh, community-based collaborative made works. Mm-hmm. I found a couple of those uh, themes uh, somewhat interesting. Uh, the, the the names themselves are, you know, kind of original, and it, just reading the themes like body publics, I immediately wanted to know what that meant. Mm. So it's basically about uh, health care or lack thereof, right? Can can you uh, talk about how you a little bit about that, please? Yeah. So the body publics program, um, which will take place at the cinema um, Monday, October twenty first, um, and will be visited um, by Louis Messiah, who is coming from Philly who is one of the founders of Scribe Media, uh, who is the founder of Scribe Media, uh, which is Scribe, I'm talking over myself. He's mm-hmm. the founder of Scribe, a media uh, production community center in Philly. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's one of the main uh, collaborators in this We Tell project. Um, but the Body Publics program, um, like you say, yes, it features, it, it discusses issues of healthcare, um, but not only healthcare or access or lack their lack of access to healthcare, but just uh, how you live in your body. So how you navigate spaces of um, uh, of being comfortable or not comfortable in your body. Um, how that is disrupted uh, when you go to different spaces where your body is threatened, um, whether that's an illness or whether that's uh, the presence of police, of the, the threat of police violence, how your body is safe or not safe. So are you saying police are a public health issue for black folks? You said it first. Mm-hmm. Okay, you suggested it first. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's, uh, mm-hmm. it, it kind of makes sense. Yeah. Especially when you look at some of the recent incidents in the news. That's Absolutely. right. You know, the, the heightened stress <laughs> levels that mm. can occur with some encounters and you know, on our show we've explored that and we we've had topical themes such as how to survive mm-hmm. uh, a pullover. Uh, mm-hmm. You never thought you'd ever have to say that, but then it was re- I was reminded by something that someone said that there, in some ways, are as much anxiety stressors with the officer as there is with the citizen who's sitting in that car. That can be debatable because of some of the outcomes that we've seen, and they're disturbing in referencing some of the most recent ones, and you know, the, as far as court trials to just recent occurrences. But uh, I'm glad you're exploring that. What are some of the other uh, thematic uh, uh, films that, or or genres or films that, that you plan to explore? Yeah, another one of the themes um, is called turf, which is a little more uh, perhaps to the point than something like body publics that you can. Um, can be interpreted in different ways. Um, But TERF, uh, which will screen this Friday, uh, October 18th at 6 p.m. in the uh, IU Library screening room, um, looks at the politics of housing, gentrification, homelessness Mm -hmm. um, across the country. So works from uh, Houston, um, from New Orleans, from Seattle, um, Portland, um, Detroit, looking at how and again, across a number of issues, and there's so much, uh, well, there's a lot that's included. There's 41 works in this series, 41 short works in this uh, series. There's so much that had to be left out um, 
as there mm-hmm. always is. Just in turf or the whole totality? In the whole, in the whole totality. Okay. There's okay. so much that um, there's always more. Um, mm-hmm. But in the turf program, it's just a sampling of the kinds of issues that are related to um, where you live and access access to housing. Okay, actually, you started to get into it a little bit. I was going to ask you, when you said the politics of housing, I was going to ask you to just give us a couple of examples. But you did that. Would you mind giving us a few more? Yeah. Because I know we, there's um, a ton of uh, topics that you can mention. So one of the pieces that we'll show in that is called uh, Survival Information Television SIT, uh, Must You Pay the Rent. It's uh, made from it's made in 1975 from a group called New Orleans Video Access Center. Um, this was part of a, a series um, this piece was part of a series called SIT, and this one piece looks at, it was made for lower income residents, um, and again, we're talk- all the works are community made, so made mm-hmm. for and by lower income residents um, that, do, that take direct action against their landlords. Um, hmm. So you compiled a bunch of uh, works that were produced by other organizations or people? Yeah, compiled a a number of works that were made by all community-based group collectives. Okay. So everything that we is included in this program, um, and it's across a 50-year history uh, throughout the entirety of the United States, um, including Puerto Rico. Um, They're all made by a a number of different groups that are very regionally focused. And one of the things I love about this series is that focus on groups and collective Mm -hmm. filmmaking and social justice filmmaking. And um, I'm really struck by the way that because it's collective work and spans so much time that it's lots of different kinds of people. So like the series that's going to play, um, like the body politics includes work on, uh, it looks like Native Americans as well as African Americans. Okay. So you can kind of think about the interrelations of all of our different struggles, right. you know. Um, I'm listening to Bring It On Tonight and I hear something that really has piqued my interest and you mentioned screenings that are available for the public. Now, can you tell us, I'm sitting at home, I want to come and see these. What do I do? How do I go about this? Because can I wait to the last minute? Is there ample space for I could bring my whole family and their, and their friends? Or, or how do I go about getting there? Yeah, um, you can bring your whole family, all your friends, your neighbors. Um, and you can purchase. You can buy. You can reserve tickets ahead of time um, in advance. Um, all of the screenings are free and completely open to the public. But so you need to reserve a ticket. Reserving a ticket is uh, a good idea. If you aren't able to do so, still come on by. Mm-hmm. Um, you can reserve a ticket to the cinema screenings on the IU Cinema website. Um, and you can reserve a ticket to the one in the screening room, which is in the Wells Library on the um, Indiana University Moving Image Archives website. So if I... Just hearing what you just shared, if I just Google or not if Google, you, but yeah. put in the URL. If you Google any of that, you'll get to the right place. IU Cinema, um, we are screenings. We tell. We tell screenings, and it's going to take me to a landing site that I can mm-hmm. both register and get some background information. Mm-hmm. And, um, um, and okay, do you have the dates of when these thematic presentations will be offered? Yeah, so the first one will be this Friday, uh, October 18th at 6 p.m. Um, in the library, in the Wells Library's uh, screening room, which is in the um, on the ground floor, room 048. Um, again, that's free, open to the public. Uh, that one starts at 6. 
Um, Monday, October 21st at 7 p.m. in the cinema will be the um, first screening in the cinema. Um, this I'm real, one I'm really looking forward to. This is the um, Body Publics program. Louis Messiah will be here for that. Um, Terry will be here for that one. Um, and then there's a number of other screenings um, in throughout November and December. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's four additional screenings. Excellent. I'll save the dates on. Well, um, I like to say. Um, I want to thank you both for joining us and also to get you back to talk about how that's progressing. And we want to talk about second semester. Yeah. All that's on tap. All uh, that love. Um, all that love that's going to be just <laughs> permeating and that campus is going to be transformed everything. There, there'll be no more. Anyway, uh, we want you back <laughs> to talk about that. Happy to come back. All right. And um, it's a pleasure meeting you, Carmel. Thanks so much for having us. Uh, we want to say that um, I'm trying to find my place here. Okay. Our thanks to recurring guest, Dr. Terry Francis, an associate professor of cinema and media studies and director of the Black Film Center Archive in the Media School at Indiana University. And she was joined by her colleague from the Moving Image Archive, who you just heard uh, just really lay out a wonderful overview of what's coming with the series. Um, uh, Not we are, but we tell. I don't know why I think we are. I think of the TV program or something. Uh, mm-hmm. Carmel Curtis um, has joined us tonight. They were here to talk about, again, the series of community-made films entitled We Tell 50 Years of Participatory Media. And we hope Carmel will be a recurring guest also. Thank you both for joining us. <laughs> a <Thanks>. pleasure. <laughs> Thank you.
right, Bring It On has an open submission policy. So if you have an idea for this program, let's hear it. Send an email to our volunteer staff. The address is bringingon at wfhb.org. We want to make sure we share everything and anything affecting the African-American community with our listening audience in Bloomington and beyond. The email address, once again, is bringingon at wfhb.org. Bring It On is Indiana's only public affairs program dedicated to the African-American community here on WFHB 91.3 FM and live on the web at wfhb.org. And as mentioned at the top of the hour, Dana Black, uh, excuse me, Indiana's own (laughs) Dana Black is Indiana Democrat Party Deputy Chair of Engagement, Indiana Stonewall Democrats President, Lawrence Township Democrat Club member, Lawrence Township Precinct Committeeman. And Dana is also the host of, of the radio show Turn Left and co-host of the podcast Policy with a Purpose. And Dana works to bring the legislative information Hoosiers need to make sound decisions about those that should represent us. Dana, as always, welcome back to Bring It On. Uh, it's a pleasure to be back. What's going on, Will? All right, all right. <laughs> this is like, what, your third or fourth this time This is my second us? time, but second. I've been in Bloomington so many times. Monroe yeah, County yeah. is like second home for me. So yeah. So, so tell us, what, what is Dana Black doing these days? Uh, Dana Black is actually first and foremost working to take care of her health. I had a little health scare a little bit earlier yeah, this yeah. Uh, in September. We heard about but, that. But uh, we are... On the mend and doing all the things the right way. The second thing is to make sure that um, people are fully aware that we do have a 2019 election coming up. And our municipal races around our state are just just as important, if not more important, than anything that's happening in 2020. So I've been really focused in on getting people to understand who their uh, city, county councils, council races that are on, mayor races, traveling around, talking to every community that I can about pay attention to what's happening locally because all politics is local. Mm -hmm. It gets real exciting, you know, want to know who's going to be the next president. But bottom line is if you really want to impact your community, it happens locally. So I've been trying to get people to stay focused and stay engaged and uh, help candidates all over. Uh, Dana, what are some of the key state races that are going on that that will that everyone can hopefully have a voice in? There are no state races this okay. year. They're all municipal, so they're all county, city, county, municipal races. So you're voting for mayors this year. You're voting for city, uh, city councils and and some county councils, depending on where you, what county you're in. Mm-hmm. So everything is 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 super local. There's nothing at the state house. There's nothing federal. It is all municipal races. Um, William and I both are from Northwest Indiana, from that great city on the lake. Uh, from the Indiana, region, huh? From, from the region. <laughs> region. I don't, I'll, I'll never call myself a region. Is that right? what they call it? Yeah, well, the, region. the region. I just call it home. Uh, <laughs> we were shocked. Uh, my goodness, um, Mayor Wilson, uh, we just knew would be there until she finished her mm-hmm. mission, not because she's a lifetime politician, but uh, Councilman Prince. Uh, pulled an upset. Yeah, that was a, a, a huge shock to a lot of us. Um, uh, di- I didn't see it coming, but I'll be honest, I wasn't uh, as engaged up in Lake County as I mm-hmm. wish I had been. Um, but you know what? I don't have a problem with healthy competition. Right. Um, and as long as we're electing Democrats, I'm right. okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, you sound like a politician. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just not a successful one yet. Well, I mean, and, and that's true. Um, and I and I've uh, well, when I go home, one of the things I, I really enjoy doing, um, I, I enjoy watching our community access television mm-hmm. that features uh, what's going on in politics in my hometown. And uh, it's always interesting to hear perspectives. Uh, 
and when they have open mic with the with the uh, citizens and mm-hmm. some of the per- perspectives they bring at the mic, and um, uh, I have he- I have seen and viewed uh, Mr. Prince uh, on a number of years, and when he first started, as to you know how he comports himself mm-hmm. and some of the issues that he addresses, both I think would would have made excellent. Uh, oh. mayors and I was glad to hear that she is going to go to Chicago to be to head up the Urban League if I'm not yes mistaken. she's got a gig already lined up and she's you know but when you have that much talent you know yeah, it doesn't it, take it long it for somebody to snatch it right, right. I, I will be I will say I'm a little sad that we are losing one of yeah. our female yeah. mayors but we have another African-American female running in Muncie her name is Terry Whit Bailey oh. um, she's running for uh, the ma- to be the mayor of Muncie so that will you know we lost one but we have an opportunity to to gain another one right right so that there are over uh 15 women um running for municipal executive offices and that is a a significant number when you consider the that women are only 23 percent of our elected officials but are over 51 percent of our population in our state so <laughs> i'm really excited that there are women not just running for council seats or school boards they are actually putting their hats in the ring to run cities and i'm loving it Okay. Are these African-American women? N- not all. No, no. no. But t- Terry Whit Bailey has a, in fact, we have a, an event for her uh, at the end of the month where she she does this amazing fundraiser. She gets all of the people from around town to put on a talent show. And so they get little prizes, but it's like $10, $15 at the door. You come in, you you, you know, you get to watch the entertainment, and it's a good way for her to, to fundraise. Um, I'll be emceeing that for her uh, at the end of the end of the month. Um, so find her, Terry Whit Bailey. Um, okay. and, and if you're in Muncie or if you get up to Muncie, just go up and support her. Was she on the council for a while, or, or is she, she sort actually of a newcomer? Was not, well, she's uh, this is her first time running, um, okay. but she has been in the – the, the previous mayor who is stepping down, mm-hmm. she's been a part of his administration for several years. So she has uh, really great insight mm-hmm. on, you know, what it is to run a city. Okay. So speaking of uh, events, uh, the Black Democratic Caucus and the Monroe County Democratic Party are hosting one of your signature events this weekend uh, in Bloomington. And you mentioned earlier that you were working hard to uh, travel and educate folks about the importance of the vote. So how does this event titled Power of the Black Vote help you to do that? Absolutely. So th- the great thing about the Power of the Black Vote is that it inc- it requires people to have active participation. You can't sit back and complain about situations that are going on in your community and not um, want to be involved. But we don't just say get involved. We give you tools and some of the things that you need to be involved. Um, we highlight specific areas where we can have impact in policy making, And we specifically do this in communities where there's maybe less than 15% of an African-American population. And when you're so small, you think that, oh, my God, I, I, I can't have an impact. There's nothing I can do. There's nothing I can um, – there's no way for me to, to, to elicit change. Mm-hmm. And what we talk about, it doesn't matter how small your numbers are. You, can, you still have power in your community to create that change and make it happen. We can't be scared. We can't be afraid. Um, I go to some communities, and, and literally people talk about being afraid to speak out. No, no, no. We're, we're going to empower you with the tools that you need to be as uh, uh, effective uh, an advocate for your community as you possibly can be. And while you said on the front end that uh, this is 2019, there are races, and it's not all about 2020, although that's important. Mm-hmm. When you talked about the sort of the psychology of, of the electorate, uh, just some are just disenchanted, some have given up, some are are just fully engaged because mm-hmm. of um, how do you talk to people who are still just in shock 
2016, and then all the attention that we hear in the news media is for 2020. Yeah. I mean, how do you help get them to place that where it should properly be placed in their minds, but yet put their vision uh, on what's important too in 2019? Yeah, so first of all, we have to remember that the media is is there to, to make money now. They used to be mm-hmm. in an information mechanism, but they are there to make money now. So right. they're going to talk about what's going to sell and what's going to make money. For example, um, it's exciting to talk about Montgomery, Alabama has right. its first African-American right. mayor. That's exciting to That's talk exciting. about. But a lot of people don't want to talk about what's going on down maybe in in Jeffersonville, Indiana, or what may be happening in Evansville because it's it's just Indiana. Indiana's a flyover state. Nobody pays much attention. But because those things happen... We have a we are, are as Democrats we are a super minority in our state house because we haven't been paying attention. So what we what we try to do is get people to focus on the issues that matter to them most. Right. For example, you know where your child goes to school, that is important. Whether or not a, a new school is built closer to your neighborhood or you have to travel, you know uh, your child has to travel two hours away to go to school. These are the conversations that we're having. We what we do is show them how policy impacts their lives directly. Right. right. right? It's not some abstract guy in DC who honestly the 6 million people in Indiana are not going to be nearly as impacted by what's going on in DC as they will by their local government. Um and so we try to bring it back. Bring mm-hmm. it back to do you want more street lights? <clears throat> how is that policing going on in your neighborhood? Mm-hmm. And it's not just a uh, uh, urban and suburban areas, rural areas are are impacted as well. And so it's important for us to talk about all the issues that matter to your community locally. So you said uh, that you focus on communities that are less than 15% of the population. Mm -hmm. You mean uh, where black folks are less than 15%? Mm -hmm. Okay, so Monroe County is uh, maybe 3.6%. This is why it's uh, one of my favorite towns. (laughs) Now, with those type of numbers, and I've been very active with the Black Caucus and I see why it's it's easy to feel uh, disenchanted or mm-hmm. disenfranchised. So with those types of numbers, what kind of tools would you offer to a population that's less than 5%? Absolutely. So first of all, we are not homogenous as a community. Everybody has a, a specific skill set. Um, for example, me, I'm a talker. Right. So if you want to address an issue, one of the things you might do with a person like me is put them in front of your council. If whatever that issue is that you guys want addressed by your council members, you say, go be our advocate or, or go be our lobbyist. See, lobbyists get a bad t- name because, you know, the, the insurance lobbyists and the tobacco lobbyists. But there are great lobby groups like Moms Demand Action. So so we talk about who are the people's lobbyists we are. So first thing you do is you become an advocate and you you become a lobbyist and you go talk to your elected officials. I know a lot of people in our community feel like, well, how come they're not coming to talk to us? Well, there's one of us, but there's 200, 300. I mean, there's 200, 300 of us and only one of them. So you have to to get in a place where they can hear you. Another way to help is obviously running for office um, and and putting yourself out there or helping a candidate who speaks, speaks to your issues. But we have to support that candidate. We can't just say, you know, William, go run for city county council and we don't back you up. We got to raise money for you. We got to knock doors for you. We got to make phone calls for you. We have to, to elevate you and get you to the point where your message resonates with the entire community. Um, th- I think that is the one area where we as African-Americans, especially in Indiana, we struggle with. We'll stand in line for the iPhone, but we won't donate a dollar to a candidate who's going to represent our community. 
Um, those are just some of the things that we really want to focus in on and how we get engaged because everything that we do in life, everything that is, that is going on in the world in our life is, is predicated by policy. And if we are not in the policymaking business, we are going to be left behind. You know, one of the big issues in uh, <clears throat> virtually every community in America is access to health care, yes. affordable health care, and affordable prescription medication. Uh, just recently, uh, working with an individual, just experienced head on the barriers that people are confronting. Um, how do you put action to commiseration? So, Actually, I had been talking about uh, access to affordable health care and not actually have had to have it. And then after September, it just changed everything for me because as I was sitting in the hospital and complaining about not getting a shower, um, I it dawned on me that I'm actually getting really good health care. Mm-hmm. And I, even though my copay um, and deductible will be over $6,200, it's not the 111 that I would have been paying. And so what we have to do is find those organizations that are speaking to those concerns. And we we can't worry about being the only one in the room. Right. We can't. In fact, it's even better when we are the only one in the room or we bring some people with us so that we can bring perspective, our perspective to the conversation. There are organizations and groups right now who are fighting like AARP and other organizations, national organizations, local organizations that are working on how do we attain affordable health care for all of our communities. One of the things that um, is scary to me um, is that we, when we talk about affordable health care, we're actually talking about affordable insurance. See, those two things are very, very different. Affordable insurance is not the key to affordable health care because the insurance company gets to dictate to you uh, what you can have, what medication the doctor can prescribe to you, and why is the, the number cruncher guy making medical decisions for you? There needs to be a real conversation about, you know, the role of the insurance company versus quality, affordable health care. But we have to be engaged in those conversations at a, at a level where the work is already being done or create that work. We can't be afraid to be alone, stand up and talk about what's important in our communities. For example, we know infant mortality rate um, in the state of Indiana is, is like fourth highest in the entire country. But we also know that African-American women are disproportionately impacted by infant infant mortality rate and uh, maternity uh, deaths as well. So women are dying during childbirth and they're also losing their children. Black women are at a much higher rate than our white counter, our sisters. But we have to, if if we don't bring that information, right, to to the people who are already lobbying and and working on affordable health care, they won't know what our issues are. And we can't get caught up in them demonizing us by saying we are dealing with identity politics. No, <laughs> if you don't understand who I am and understand that I have a slight difference or my experiences uh, created a, a different world for me, then how can you help me? So don't let people tell you about identity politics. Um, you know, straight white males is an identity. <laughs> so <coughs> don't give me that. But we just have to be willing to put the work in. We can't be passive and sit back and let people dictate to us what our community needs. We have to be out front and say, okay, it's time for you to hear me. And there's a way to do it. So so you're saying we have, in addition to taking our message directly to a politician, we should engage these uh, lobbying groups and Absolutely. organizations also. Absolutely. Um, 
I think I read on your Facebook page that you shared a stage with uh, Congressman Carson and I Speaker did. Pelosi. Was it back in July? Yes, I did. So I'm, yeah. I, I'm dying to know what kind of interaction you had with Speaker Pelosi. And did you? None. <laughs> did you lobby her? <laughs> no, I got none. Uh, she she was on uh, right before me, uh, which I still am scratching my head about how they put Congressman Carson on, Speaker Pelosi, and then Indiana's on. That's uh, that's something for the comedians to work that's out. That's because they were building up to you. That's why. <laughs> um, I didn't get a ha- chance to have any personal interaction with her, but I did get a chance to sit in on a uh, discussion forum that her and, and the congressman were hosting um, uh, on the ca- uh, downtown at the, the Indianapolis uh, Public Library. And a lot of their discussion was really uh, uh, of inclusion and how sometimes you got to learn the process before you can try to blow it up and change it. So, you know, as people of color, we've been listening to um, uh, the four young women of color and some of their struggles with Nancy Pelosi and even with the Democratic Party. Um, And the conversation was that it's not that Nancy doesn't understand or see where these ladies are coming from, but, but there really is a process. And if we don't understand the process, which is one of the other things we talk about in our Power of the Black Vote, if you don't understand the process that's in place, whether you like it or not, you're not going to have an impact. So you can try to, I'm not a revolutionary. I recognize that and I, I applaud all of my revolutionaries. I'm the kind of person who wants to get inside and, and fix what's already there and see if we can get something better out of it. That's just my style. So once you get in, learn it. Understand how it works. Understand all the, the, the mechanisms and the gears that make things turn. And then once you understand how it works, then you can change it. But if you don't know how anything works and you just run in willy-nilly, you're going to make a mess of yourself. If you are if you just tuned in to Bring It On, we're having, uh, I would say, an engaging, informative conversation with Indiana's own Dana Black, who is the Indiana Democratic Party Deputy Chair of Engagement, Indiana Stonewall Democrats President, Lawrence Township Democratic Club member, Lawrence Township Precinct Committee, <laughs> uh, men, uh, and uh, I still that. say going to throw her throw her hat in the ring. Space but, but shuttle pilot, space shuttle. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now, 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 I'm just a chick with a big you, mouth. You, you, you just said something. You just in in that in that last sort of uh, st- stream of consciousness. Uh, you you mentioned uh, the frustrations of not knowing the process. Now, what do you tell people who want to learn the process, but then redistrict redistricting is thrown in their face? Where, where, where someone could have a popular, well, I mean, this is national, mm-hmm, but someone mm-hmm. can have the popular vote, but then the Electoral College and, and even on local level, how redistricting can just turn your state upside down. Mm-hmm. Now, what do you tell those who are sort of frustrated with that? Uh, so I tell myself. <laughs> <laughs> First starts with you. <laughs> yes. So he, he, here's how, um, you, you have to know how the districts are drawn, who draws them and who decides to get to, to, get to draw them. We already know the majority in the state house gets to determine how those lines are drawn. So if you're not engaged to understand h- how and who is running for office to be in the state house, then you won't know who's drawing those districts. For example, Susan Brooks, who was the congresswoman from the 5th district, her husband was a part of drawing the lines. You think that they didn't draw district 5 for her to stay for as long as she wanted to stay? But if you don't know who's in, in charge of redistricting, how can you make that change? And then it flows downhill. There are races where Democrats don't put up candidates. Why? There shouldn't, be, in my opinion, there shouldn't be a race either way where it's not contested. 
because that to me takes away uh, democracy. It doesn't give me anybody to vote for, whether it's a Democrat or Republican. So if we are, if there are seats where we're not actually putting someone in to to run, or someone's not stepping up to run, then that means that's one less seat that we could take to flip that supermajority. If we don't, if in real talk, if we do not pay attention um, to who is running in our state house in 2020, I know people are, who's the next president? Get rid of Trump, blah 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 blah. But all the power <laughs> is at the state house. All of the power politically is at the state house. Think about it. When President Obama passed ACA, the Bo- Obamacare, state houses can determine whether or not they were going to adopt that program. So they can, the state can <coughs> reject things from the federal government. And going the other direction, um, in Indianapolis, the state house determined how many council seats we had. They voted to get rid of all of our at-large council seats because they were re- they were redrawing the districts in Indianapolis and they thought that they had, you know, a way to, to take control of the council. And they knew, but the four at-large seats were always held by Democrats. So they just got rid of them. The state house is where the power is. So if you understand that much, then you know, okay, well, I need to support somebody that's running for Senate or somebody that's running for the House seat in our state house that is going to represent fair redistricting. Then you start the process of figuring out how you can help them get elected. That's just one way. You know, the, the uh, panel this weekend includes State Senator Eddie Melton. Mm-hmm. What do you think his, uh, I'm not going to ask you what his chances are, but uh, unless you want me to. <laughs> uh, and I'm talking about his uh, race for governor. But mm-hmm. what what do you think he's going to be dealing with? And and running for governor and, and a black man in a red state, let alone a, a white Democrat in a red state. Right. So first of all, because I'm deputy chair for engagement for our state party, I stay neutral in primaries. <laughs> However, there are two African-Americans who are running for governor. Um, you have Dr. Woody Myers, yeah. who's running, and um, Eddie, Senator Eddie Melton. Um, so uh, with, with two brothers running, it's going to split the black vote. That means... Probably it's not going to be advantageous for us to, you know, uh, if you split, you know, 9% of, of your voting block between Woody and Eddie, that means all the rest of the votes right now f- for the white guy. But, you know, Josh is kind of young. Uh, so there right now three men have, have put their hat in the ring. I'm waiting on a woman. <laughs> I hate to be gender specific, but I am. I'm waiting on a woman uh, to throw her hat in. Hey. Oh, Indiana's not quite ready for me. Yet. Okay, okay. Well, um, we had talked before we went live uh, about just current events that are going mm-hmm. on, and we yeah. have honestly about a minute and a half, if I can get my engineer to work with me on that, um, recent shooting that just yeah. went on. I mean, that could be in any community. Yeah, it uh, has been in any and, community. And it has been in, in a lot of communities. We just had a trial that shocked a lot of people with the outcome, but yep. the sentencing, people yeah, still out to court on that. Woman. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but now, but now we have a woman gunned down again in her house, and I mm-hmm. and I said that it, it was sort of the pattern that you could be walking down the street, Trayvon Martin, and then secondly in your car getting pulled over, and of course, on endless situations. Yes, and and then at a gas station. Yes. And um, and then now in, in, in the home. home. Yes. And then William shared something about people getting arrested. Uh, a group of family members getting then bailed out and then arrested again. Yeah. I mean, on their what, front lawn. On their front lawn. 
Same um, cop. So, <laughs> you know, misdirector of engagement. Yeah, okay, yeah, how do yeah. people channel their um, their passion? I won't say anger because mm-hmm. that, that's stereotypic. But how do people channel their passions to get stuff changed? Well, first of all, I actually don't have a problem being called angry because I have a lot to be angry about. If if you if the anger is a natural a natural emotion, and and to suggest that somehow it is horrible to be angry mm-hmm. about something means that you are supposed to turn off a part of you. Right. What you have to do though is channel that anger, like right. you were talking about. Right. First of all. Uh, I I am really disturbed at the notion that so many trained police officers are always fearing for their life. I I, I walk around and I drive around the state of Indiana and, and I've hit almost 50 counties. I don't own a weapon. I choose not to own a weapon. And I go into counties where I'm the only black person that's in that county at that time. And if I can drive around the state of Indiana as I am with my tie and cufflinks on, right, then Excuse me, Mr. Trained Officer, who has had hours and hours of training on how to de-escalate situations. Why are y'all always scared to death? Y'all, y'all, y'all scared of, for your life. So I don't understand this notion that I feared for my life, but that's the story you want to tell. We already know our community has been, gun, uh, has been target uh, of being gunned down. Malcolm X talked about it. You know, MLK talked about it. This is nothing new. Our community has been a target. Um, I got to wrap it up. No, <laughs> because we're going to bring you back. We're okay. going to have a panel talk about okay. some of these yeah. Yeah, really yeah. Yeah. nationally, yeah. locally explosive yeah. issues. Yeah. But because we have like a minute and a half before we go off the okay. air. Yeah, I hate running out of time. I but know. our I thanks to Indiana's own Dana Black, Indiana Democrat Party Deputy Chair of Engagement, and a whole host of other times. Thank you. Don't read all that stuff. <laughs> for joining us tonight. <laughs> also, our thanks to Dr. Terry Francis, a recurring guest I'm bringing on. And also to uh, Carmel Curtis, who joined her tonight to talk about events and activities at the Black Film Center Archive and the Moving Image Archive. Our show's producer is Clarence Boone with help from WFHB News Department. Tonight's board engineer was Chantal LaFontante. Our original theme music was created by Jamil Effiam with additional background tracks by David Baker. For WFHB, I am William Hosea. And I'm Clarence Boone. Thanks for your donations to WFHB and to bring it on during last week's Fall Fun Drive. Your gifts are truly appreciated and are still being received. Tune in next Monday, October 21st at 6 p.m. for another exciting edition of Bring It On right here on your community radio station, WFHB. You've been listening to Bring It On, a volunteer-powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. Bring It On is your forum for open dialogue on the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American community in South Central Indiana and beyond. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Bring It On staff. The email address is bringit at wfhb.org. That's bringit at wfhb.org.